This is E2B, Energy to Business, a podcast by Opportune, where we bring you in-house expertise that serves all energy sectors. We examine emerging financial and technology trends and provide a broad perspective on ways to stay ahead, create opportunities, and execute market strategies. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of E2B, Energy to Business, an opportune podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. And folks, thanks so much for joining us on this next episode of the show. As you're listening along, make sure that you're subscribing to Apple Podcasts and Spotify to make sure you get a full catalog of previous E2B conversations. And make sure you're going to our website, opportune.com. So you're currently listening to part two of a two-part conversation on the U.S.'s natural gas outlook for 2021. In our first part, we broke down several factors that are influencing natural gas prices, things from COVID context to getting more specific on U.S. gas well production characteristics and understanding current drilling level activities. Today, we're going to pick up where we left off and break down more specific demand and supply factors with our guest from part one, Steve Hendrickson. He is president of Ralph E. Davis, an opportune company. Steve, great to have you back on for part two. How are you doing? Great, Daniel. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, I'm looking forward to continuing our conversation. We uh, left off at a great spot and there's so much left to unpack. So let's go ahead and jump right into it. Now, another factor that influences supply is uh, available capital to fund any number of natural gas operations. And what we've seen from investors recently is an upstream of shifting from a capital-fueled growth model to one that's more focused on living within uh, existing cash flow, which means tightened capital availability. Uh, And I'm curious, how do you see that impacting natural gas prices and that delicate supply and demand balance? Yeah, that definitely is a trend right now. Uh, And, um, you know, I I think when I look back on my career, the the, 35 plus years I've been involved, and as I mentioned, it's it's a cyclical business. We've had boom and bust cycles before and very common in a boom cycle when prices are high, a lot of capital piles in and it's chasing, it's chasing reserves, it's chasing production rate. And then when the inevitable lower prices come along, um, those economics don't look so great anymore. And we have to renew our focus on capital discipline. You know, for many years in the first, say the first 20 years of my career, the U.S. was somewhat, you know, in decline in terms of production. I mean, there was, there were a lot of projects that were going on. There was expansion into things like CO2 flooding. Um, there was expansion projects in California in steam flooding. We had the shelf really took off in the Gulf of Mexico and then the explosion in deep water. So there was a lot of continued development. But nevertheless, when you just look at the whole country, we were just kind of marching our way down. And uh, then along came the shale revolution and our um, our situation t- changed completely. And we went through this long cycle of trying to secure assets, secure acreage, drill wells and prove it up. And we've pretty much gone through that. Now, can't say it's completely over, but a lot of it's over. And so we're starting to shift back, in, in my thinking, to the type of um, attitudes we had um, prior to that, where capital discipline was 
was very important. Uh, there was a uh, there wasn't as much capital availability, and so it was very necessary for companies to use what I've called in the past the internal capital market. That is their own cash flow. They had to use that very wisely um, in order to keep their business going and to grow their business. So I think we're shifting into back into a um, a world that's a little bit more like that. Now. I think that's going to be a bit of a struggle for some companies. Um, there are, as we were talking about with respect to natural gas, there are a couple plays that really have some of the better quality reservoirs. And um, they're going to uh, continue to develop even at low prices. But there are some places where we have lots of natural gas, but it's just not uh, economically um uh, exploitable, I guess, or you can't be drilled for economically um, if you are trying to maintain a certain uh, high level of return. And so I think those companies are going to be, um, you know, they're, they're going to have a tough time. Uh, I think we're going to continue to see um, how, how will folks respond to that. I think that we've seen already uh, toward the end of last year, we started to see the increase in consolidation in the industry that we've been predicting for a while. And I say we, I mean, most of us in the industry would say, well, the, the response that you need to have to low prices is you've got to get your costs down. And one way you get your costs down is by combining companies and getting economies of scale and um, then focusing on your best assets. I think we're going to continue to see that um, because it's um, it does seem to be what investors are are asking for. It remains to be seen um, how successful the industry as a whole will be able to do that. I have no question that some will be successful, but I think it will be a challenge for some just because uh, the acreage, the quality of the acreage just isn't as good. And of course, there's going to be some folks in the middle that have... Um, have pretty good acreage, but they need to respond in order to um, make sure that they're able to meet their investors' expectations. And those responses will be, as I mentioned, consolidation, for instance, or or other cost-cutting um, moves, uh, t- thinking differently about the way they organize themselves and staff themselves, and focusing on the best assets they can, um, driving a higher level of uh, investment scrutiny, for instance, to make sure they're assessing all the risks, perhaps more than they had to in the past when the goal was, let's uh, get this acreage under lease and get it producing so that we can uh, figure out how how good it's going to be. So I want to link this as well to uh, how much the U.S. uh, administration at a federal level actually dictates uh, any of the prices and outlook for natural gas. I know under the Obama administration, um, fracking was expanded and made a major part of um, the U.S.'s energy output, and that, I'm sure, was a boom for natural gas. Uh, And now we have a new U.S. administration entering the picture, one that has it, you know, at least prioritized some sort of mild climate change action, uh, which means that increased regulation is on the table. 
which might reduce uh, supply and contribute to the trend of declining supply that we've seen over the last year. Uh, but also the uh, incoming Biden, uh, excuse me, Biden administration has made clear that it doesn't plan to ban fracking in any way. So I'm curious as to what your thoughts are on how much a new administration and action towards combating climate change is going to impact natural gas at all, because stocks have been up for um natural gas companies during the Trump administration. And uh, there is talk that with new regulation, you know, this could put a hamper on existing um, uh, fossil fuel based uh, energy infrastructures in the US. Is that what you're imagining is going to happen going into 2021? Yes, no, uh, you know, a mix of both. What do you see? Right. Well, federal regulation or any type of regulation can impact things both on the supply and on the demand side. Um, if we think about the role of the federal government on the supply side, um, their, their uh, authority extends to activities that happen on federal leases. And so what I'm hearing or what I've heard so far is an expectation that that the incoming administration is going to attempt to restrict or eliminate fracking on federal leases. Perhaps not, and I'm not completely clear on this, whether it's on existing federal leases or on future federal leases. Um, they could also really influence the whether um, there's future drilling that utilizes fracturing on federal leases by standing in the way or prohibiting the issuance of future drilling permits. I think the industry probably uh, was scrambling towards um, towards the end of last year to try to get more permits under their belt, if you will, so that they would be able to have locations to drill um, if that were to come to pass. So with that thought in mind, though, you know, when we look around at where drilling is happening, you know, I mentioned the Haynesville and the Marcellus, and those are not areas that have a lot of federal land. The type of areas that do are places in Colorado, Wyoming, probably parts of Montana, uh, some parts in New Mexico. And with the exception of New Mexico, down in the southern, southeastern area in the Delaware Basin, there's really not uh, all that much natural gas directed drilling going on in those other areas. So I don't think any, uh, in my opinion, I don't think there's any uh, immediate impact that that would have on the supply situation just because it's not playing as great a role in supply just due to the prices. Those, uh, a lot of those plays that I uh, are in the states that I referred to are not as economic as the Marcellus and the Haynesville are and, and activity has already declined quite a bit there. Another area, uh, another way, of course, that a, a new administration could influence uh, supply and demand of natural gas is on the demand side. Um, I don't know exactly what their plans will be or how they'll unfold. Of course, a lot of that's going to have to go through Congress and, you know, there will be some horse trading there. But I do think there is logical, uh, you know, of course, I agree with this focus on coal uh, because I'm in the oil and gas business. But I think if you look at things that you could do to improve um, the emission of CO2 um, in a pretty dramatic way, it would be to continue to put pressure on coal-fired generation. Um, and so 
it could well be that the administration comes in and takes certain actions that um, somewhat offset one another. Yes, there's some supply side reduction. And, and obviously, look, I'm, I, I acknowledge that if you're the oil and gas operator that happens to have those federal leases, uh, that's a big problem. Um, but we think about it as an industry as a whole, however, it may be um, entirely possible that some of the things that they do would be supportive of increased natural gas demand. As we both look ahead to potential new regulation around the corner, uh, can you also give us some context as to how the last four years of uh, regulation have impacted natural gas prices and where that sets us up today? Right. Uh, you know, that's a tough question uh, for a couple of reasons. Um, one is the, the many of the regulations that were changed um, I don't know that they all really went into effect. You know, there is a um, there's an administrative rulemaking process. And so the administration that's in power could say, well, this is our intention for things to be a certain way. And not all of those things just change uh, on a whim. And so I don't know, just honestly, I don't know how how helpful this um, reduced regulation during the Trump years was to provide. Uh, producers. Um, I, I suspect there was some, but I also have a sense that it may not have been as great as as we might think, just because a lot of it never really got enacted. Um, so that's number one. Um, number two, I think during the the time uh, the last four years, the regulatory impact has been really overshadowed by the other things that have happened in the business. One being the most recent being the pandemic and how that influenced supply. I'm sorry, how that influenced demand and, and prices. And then prior to that, of course, was the uh, the thing we were talking about earlier, this this real um, land grab and uh, development of new plays that contributed to the tremendous supply we had and ultimately played a role in why natural gas prices dropped. We, we just did too good of a job at finding oil and gas. And particularly with gas, it's uh, we're limited on how much of it we can put into the worldwide market. We pretty much have to consume it here or it stays in the ground. So um, I, to me, those were the bigger factors with um, regulations being maybe a little bit more on the margin. And and for the same reason, I I don't really sense that in the near term anyway, that regulatory changes are going to have dramatic impact on the business. Now, they certainly could over a longer period of time, but it, at this point, we don't really know um, what those are going to be. Thanks for all that context. It's really insightful stuff. I want to pivot now over to the consumer side of things. Uh, a major reason why we saw a... Uh, decrease in demand during COVID uh, for just fossil fuels at large was because there was obviously less driving, less people on the road, and um, you know less workers in their office buildings, which means less energy uh, needed to power said buildings. Um, and obviously that leads to now reduced demand. So I also want to intersect that with the long-term shift towards um, electric-powered transportation, more specifically consumer electric vehicles, which, you know, a full transformation to EVs doesn't have any kind of clear end date, but is a major push from auto manufacturers and is a place of constant investment. I mean, we're seeing Apple 
right now announce that in the next four to eight years, it will have an autonomous electric vehicle on the market, which you know is going to turn some consumer heads. So do you think that this push towards uh, electric vehicles is going to have any sort of positive or negative effect on natural gas prices? Uh, Give us your thoughts there. Well, you know, that's a demand uh, for natural gas, right? We don't use a lot of oil in this country to power electric plants. There's probably a small amount, but I I bet it's uh, insignificant. So if we do anything that's going to increase electricity demand, that should be favorable for natural gas. Um, For many of us in the industry, though, we produce oil and natural gas. And for the last several years, the margins have been better on the oil side. So um, you could imagine that for many producers, seeing demand for natural gas improve Um, and prices improve may not be sufficient to offset the loss of revenues they get from their oil production. There are some players, of course, that are um, maybe much more weighted to natural gas, like the ones that are in the Haynesville and in the uh, Marcellus. Many of those companies, those are the, that's the areas that they focus on. And so they, they would be a beneficiary of that. Um, but I want to I want to point out too that uh, so while I don't see a shift to electric vehicles as being um, necessarily a bad thing because that that energy's got to come from somewhere, um, notwithstanding what I said of course about crude price. With respect to natural gas, we use um, we only use about thirty six percent of our natural gas for electricity. So it has a lot of other end uses that are based on or or influenced by the general economic outlook. Um, We use them in industrial processes. Of course, people use natural gas at home to heat their homes, Um, you know, drying clothes, all those sorts of things that we do. And so those things are going to be much more influenced by um, just the general uh, growth in the population, which is kind of low, but also the uh, growth um, or the um, just the general economic outlook. So if you think about uh, the fact that much of this natural gas goes into, say, plastics, for instance, and plastics end up in most of the things that we buy these days, if we have a reduction in um, economic activity because many people are suffering from job loss during the pandemic, well, then they're not buying the things that uh, plastics are in. So I think that there's, um, as we get out of the pandemic, that we'll continue to, we'll start to see a growth in economic activity that will provide a support to natural gas prices through those methods of consumption beyond just the, um, the electricity side. So I think if we're focused, I guess to wrap all that up, if we're focused strictly on natural gas, I think electric vehicle um, adoption is a favorable. The problem for the oil and gas industry, however, is that there are a small subset or there's only a subset of operators that are heavily weighted to natural gas and to which that shift from oil and gasoline could um, reduce oil demand and therefore oil prices will have an effect on them. All right, Steve, thank you so much for your insights so far on this episode of the podcast. Uh, I want to take all of this context and wrap up our conversation by using it to frame some predictions for 2021. So if you had to peer into the crystal ball a bit, how do you imagine that all of these various demand and supply factors are going to leave the natural gas industry by the end of the year 
and why. I think this year is going to be a better year uh, than last year. I think we're going to see some improvement in prices. Um, if you have gas production on today, that's great news because you've already invested the money to get uh, that production online and you should be able to see higher revenues from that. Um, I think that um, the I, I'm not predicting anything like a, a big spike in prices. Uh, of course, we never really know what sort of event could come to pass, but uh, absent the unpredictable event, I think we'll see a firming up of prices and that's going to help natural gas producers in 2021 and, and perhaps into 2022 as well. All right, Steve, I think that does it for both parts of our conversation. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of E2B. Again, we've been chatting with Steve Hendrickson. He's the president of Ralph E. Davis, an opportune company. Steve, really appreciate your time today. Thank you again. Well, thank you, Daniel. It's been a great pleasure, and thanks for having me. And before we completely wrap, if folks want to find out more about uh, Ralph E. Davis and some of the um, specific solutions that your company offers, how can they learn more or get in touch? Well, a great place to go would be to our website, uh, which is on the Opportune website, opportune.com. Fantastic. Steve, thanks again, and we'll chat soon. Thanks. And thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode of E2B, Energy to Business, an Opportune podcast. If you like what you heard and want to listen to previous episodes, make sure you're going to our website, opportune.com, and subscribing to E2B on both Apple Podcasts and Spotify. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B, and we'll catch you next time.